Are you ready to make the most of your oil and gas mineral rights? Welcome to the Mineral Rights Podcast. Get the knowledge and resources you need to manage your minerals and royalties. Here is your host, Matt Sands. Welcome to the Mineral Rights Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sands, and I'm here to help you make the most of your mineral rights and royalties. And today we're diving deep into the types of mineral rights valuations and when you should get an appraisal done to set the IRS tax basis for minerals that are inherited and then sold. Not only that, we also talk about the National Association of Royalty Owners and what you need to know about this organization and why you should be a member if you aren't. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to Mineral Rights Podcast Episode 4, where I talk about the different ways that minerals are valued. That will help you get a background on the types of valuations and sort of the nuts and bolts. And I'm really excited about this conversation because we dive even deeper into mineral rights valuations today with one of my peers in the minerals consulting business, Rob Prentice. Rob is the president of Turret LLC and the current president of the Colorado chapter of the National Association of Royalty Owners. Rob is an appraiser of mineral rights, emphasizing oil and gas minerals. His firm, Turret LLC, which is also a Colorado-based company, specializes in appraising minerals for trusts and estates, assisting with public reporting requirements for securitized oil and gas companies, technical and financial guidance for acquisition and divestiture of properties, preparing purchase price allocations for acquisitions, and expert witness services. His experience has primarily been in the western and central states of Colorado, Wyoming, North Dakota, Montana, Utah, California, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Rob holds a BA from the University of Colorado and an MBA from the University of Denver. But before we get to my conversation with Rob Prentice, I have a quick reminder. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave us an honest rating and review. This will help us get this information out to all the folks that need to hear this. And to ask a question to be featured on an upcoming episode, please leave a comment at mineralrightspodcast.com or send an email to feedback at mineralrightspodcast.com. And you can always find the show notes at mineralrightspodcast.com as well as some of the links that we talk about. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode where you can get some free bonus content. I've put together a free IRS mineral rights valuation and tax resource guide that you can download. So definitely check that out. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Rob Prentice. Well, welcome Rob to the Mineral Rights Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been really looking forward to this conversation for a while now. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get started, talk a little bit about your background. I want to start with a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, how did you get started in the oil and gas and mineral rights business? Sure. The, it's a case of the nut falling not very far from the tree. My dad did this work as well. Uh, he was in the natural gas business for most of his career and uh, was administering contracts and, and selling natural gas with pipelines and, and buying from producers. And then I went through college and, and ended up with an MBA, and the firm that I was working for acquired another firm that specialized in this type of work, and they asked me to go over and assist with business development and projects on their side, and, and so that's really how I got into it. So, Great. So it's uh, kind of a family business, so to speak. Certainly. Yeah. So now you work for uh, Turret. Can you tell me a little bit about the company 
and uh, you know what services does your company provide, and, and what's your role there? Okay. So what Turret does is it's valuation of oil and gas and other mineral rights. So primarily, just due to volume of transactions, we specialize in oil and gas, uh, but we also do mining projects as well. But we do anything that needs a value on it. So a uh, typical type of client would be uh, mineral owners. Um, so there's various needs for valuation events with mineral owners. Uh, one might be an estate appraisal. If uh, grandma or grandpa has passed, uh, sometimes you need to know what the value is as of the date of their passing. Um, other times it's uh, unfortunately a divorce case. Um, we need to figure out what the marital assets would be. Sometimes people are looking to sell their minerals, and so they're asking us uh, what would be an, a reasonable asking price or a selling price for those minerals. There's all sorts of reasons, and we still get surprised to this day of some of the reasons that come up. Well, that's cool. So you mentioned that you're, you serve both oil and gas and uh, mining and then mineral owners and in, in specifically – can you tell me a little bit about your typical client? Is it sort of the individual mineral owner, like you mentioned, that inherited minerals from grandma and grandpa, or do you have trusts and family offices, or kind of does it just range the full spectrum? It's the full spectrum. So uh, I would say the vast majority of our clients are uh, mineral owners, uh, typically a group of siblings that have received them. They've been passed down through the generations, uh, and they're working together, or sometimes they're looking for some siblings are less interested in the minerals than another sibling, and so that uh, interested sibling is looking for a purchase price to buy out the other siblings. Uh, but we also work with trusts and mineral managers, uh, attorneys quite often uh, when attorneys need to sort out the, the issue, So, uh, and then sometimes financial advisors as well. Okay, great. You mentioned the trusts and, and the estate. So for an estate appraisal and you know getting evaluation done there, and there's some specific requirements when performing an IRS appraisal to determine uh, step up in tax basis, let's say, you know, for inherited minerals. And when does it make sense for mineral owners to have a uh, professional appraisal done for a step up in cost basis when inheriting mineral rights? And then you talk a little bit also when it might not make sense for someone to, to have that done. So the difference with uh, IRS basis appraisals is typically that we're looking back in time. What generates the need for a basis appraisal is typically that uh, an individual has sold their minerals and they bring that revenue statement to their tax preparer and the tax preparer says, okay, great, what did you get these for? Well, however long ago that case is, there's, there's rules that the IRS has put out and um, the, the title of the rule is long. But if you go to the website, uh, the company website, turret.com, T-U-R-R-E-T-T.com, and then look under the articles section, you can find a, an article that talks about that IRS regulation and some of the things. You know, we've broken it down to make it a little bit more clear what needs to happen. So moving on with the uh, setting the basis conversation, uh, what we find is that basis that occurred, if you received the minerals prior to uh, around the 2006, 2007 timeframe, usually your basis is going to be so low that it might not make sense to even bother having a basis set. Uh, the amount of fees that you would pay to have somebody research the basis uh, would probably exceed the basis value that you're going to get. And the whole reason for getting the basis value is so that you can uh, lower your taxable gain. Um, I should 
make a note that I'm not a tax advisor or tax preparer. So all this is being said with a caveat of check with your tax preparer. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, another thing that we do is is we've set up a little function. uh, And so we just kind of run an estimate of what we think we might get to for a basis for clients before we undertake any of these projects. And then we just run the break-even analysis to see if the fees that we would have to charge to go do all the work to figure out what the values were worth, say, back in 2013 or something like that, uh, would at least get you close to the break-even point of the save the tax savings that you would get from the, the basis appraisal. Okay. That makes sense. So if I happen to have a really small mineral estate and to your point, maybe it's something where you're going to spend more to actually have the appraisal done than you would save in, in that tax liability. And, and so in, in, that, in those cases where maybe it doesn't make sense to do it, do those folks just take a zero cost basis and pay the full you know, proceeds of the sale, pay tax on that full amount? Right. Okay. And I think something we should add to that topic is that uh, generally speaking, if you've received minerals uh, some time ago, so you need a basis and then you've sold them this year and if they've never produced, so they've never been drilled, generally speaking, the basis is going to be very low, and it's probably not worth doing the work to figure out what they were worth. If they have produced in the past, say it had old vertical wells, but they're kind of old and tired, and so they're not generating very much cash flow, that's a little bit of a tweener. And in that case, what you need to look for is to see if there's oil and gas permits, so there's the potential for new wells in the fairly near future. Uh, and then that, so that's a little bit of a tweener, and we'd have to do just a little bit of homework to figure out if it's worthwhile. Uh, but in the case where you've had some new horizontal wells drilled and you're seeing these fairly large checks coming in, uh, that's usually a case where it is worth doing the basis appraisal. Gotcha. And so if I did have minerals, though, in a basin that maybe was active, and let's say that maybe, you know, my tract of land wasn't part of a drilling spacing unit right now, but maybe. The next section over, there are some new permits, and so there it's it's moving my way. In other words, mm-hmm. um, how would you treat that situation? You know, kind of what's your guys' rule of thumb when you're doing an IRS appraisal to to say, okay, well, when when do we expect to see these minerals generate royalties? So you know, when do we expect these wells to be drilled? In other words, so if it, mm-hmm. if we know the geology is good, we know that there's potential there. It's just really it hasn't happened yet, but it's imminent or whatever. How would you handle that type of situation? So that is always an it depends type of answer. And uh, I think the DJ Basin right here on the front range of Colorado is a great example of how it can all depend because we've seen a lot of that exact circumstance of what you're describing. Uh, There'll be permitted and drilled wells directly adjacent, and then who knows when the subject minerals would be developed. Um, So our general rule of thumb on that Uh, is that if it's already got permits on it and they're not about to expire, sometimes if it really warrants uh, researching the question, we might drive out there to see if there's actually a rig on it because there's a lot of well permits that get filed that never get drilled. They expire and then you're left with undrilled minerals. So Mm -hmm. uh, back to the general rule of thumb, it's that uh, we have to have reasonable expectation that those will be drilled and completed and come online. Okay. Makes sense. So just case by case basis, depending on the operator and what all is going on in that specific area. Right. And with the legislative session that we just went through, Mm -hmm. that threw things into turmoil a little bit. And so that, that makes the question a little bit more complex and difficult to answer. 
Definitely. Yeah. And, and Rob's talking about in Colorado here, we've had uh, some legislation passed earlier this year that we've talked about on the show, totally changed the way that oil and gas is regulated. And, you know, as a result, even though um, there are permits there, there's quite a few more hurdles that operators will have to go through. And so, um, yeah, just because there's a, a permit there doesn't mean that it's, you know, next month you're going to get royalty check. So you mentioned an IRS appraisal. Can you talk about the difference between, say, an appraisal that somebody has done to set the fair market value if they're going to, let's say, sell minerals versus an IRS appraisal and the documentation required? Can you talk about the difference in order of magnitude between the two and you know why an IRS appraisal might be more expensive? Right. Well, so the big difference between the two and the two being just an estimate for fair market value selling price versus IRS is that the IRS appraisal has more standards and hurdles that need to be crossed in order to be fully defensible. And the other thing you always have to keep in mind with an IRS appraisal is that it may be subject to challenge. It's not an opinion piece from the standpoint of if you were to sell it, I would sell it for approximately X. In this case with the IRS, it's an opinion piece that needs to be well defended because if it does get challenged and an expert is brought on the other side, uh, you want to make sure that whatever you've said is actually credible and defensible. So a couple of things. Uh, Revenue ruling 5960 is the, the top level rule regarding appraisals for IRS purposes basically says willing buyer, willing seller, arm's length transaction. So you know you can't sell it to your brother for a discounted price and expect that to represent fair market value and some other rules. And, and so that needs to be followed first and foremost. Um, second is just the rules that you follow regarding how to go about appraising a property. Um, one of the big guidance documents is from USPAP, the Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice. And, and it goes through... Uh, just the standards for which the appraiser should follow. You need to be a qualified person who who knows what you're talking about. These are a little bit gray areas, but then it goes into looking at the different standards of value. You know, most of this stuff is based on comparable sales and the adjustments to the comparable sales. It's also done based on cash flow modeling. Uh, so if you have a reliable cash flow stream, uh, you can do a discounted cash flow of that. Generally speaking, if you're doing a look back appraisal for any reason. You should probably base it more on comparable sales. There's always caveats to this, though. And then uh, if you're doing a, a current day appraisal, usually we look at uh, forward generating cash flow. Got it. So you talk about comparable sales. And I know from my experience in, in doing this type of work, sometimes it's hard to come across that information in, in states where maybe that is, uh, maybe it's a non-disclosure state. And so they're not having to, you know, indicate what the purchase price was or the sales price was. How do you go back and, and find that information for maybe those non-disclosure states like Colorado, for example, where maybe that information isn't readily available? Is that something right. you guys keep track of or how, how is that determined? So there's several different methods that we use. Um, and being a non-disclosure state, if you look at the mineral deeds, it often says $10, another valuable consideration, which doesn't really tell you anything. Uh, and, and so generally the approaches are this. You can find those transactions and see if there's a, a common buyer amongst them and just figure out who that buyer was and call them and see if they'll share information with you. Uh, another area that we use is uh, through good connections with landmen. Uh, they're always out there trying to buy and sell minerals. And so they've kind of got a bead on how much acreage is transferring for, uh, transacting for in various areas of Colorado or whichever state you're in. 
Then there's also the lease price report that's prepared by Learly Communications, and they're out of Lakewood, if I recall correctly, or Littleton. Uh, and then we also use uh, state and federal lease sales because the BLM or the state of Colorado or Utah or wherever else, they, they lease their minerals as well. And you can use a mineral lease as a proxy for a mineral transaction. That's the general way that we do it. Okay. Well, that helps. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So we've talked you know, in pretty good detail about the different types of appraisals and valuation services that Turret provides, but what are some of the other services that you guys offer to mineral owners? So in addition to valuation services, uh, we spend a lot of time just advising clients on, on different strategies or different approaches or just ways to think about their minerals. Things that we see come up all the time are that people say, oh, I, I got this offer for my minerals and great grandpa had these and they've just always been sitting around and we don't think they're worth anything anyway, so this is our chance to get rid of them. And so education is part of what we provide because just because the minerals never provided any cash flow in the past doesn't mean they never will in the future. So it's quite important to recognize that even though if the minerals have never provided cash flow to you or your family, that they might provide substantial cash flow in the near future. Um, With the horizontal drilling revolution that took place 10 or so years ago, uh, it's really opened up a lot of mineral wealth for royalty owners and people don't have that concept in their mind because they've known these minerals have been around for years and they've never done anything. So they think that they're basically worthless. Uh, but typically we advise that people should hang on to their minerals because they're they're often quite valuable and there's other untapped value that's down there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that ties in now to the, the next part in the line of questioning that I have. So you talked about education and kind of educating mineral owners so they understand, you know, what exactly they own. Let's switch gears now and talk about your involvement with the National Association of Royalty Owners, or NARO. You know, I know the mission of NARO is to support and advocate and educate for the empowerment of mineral and royalty owners. Why is membership in an organization like NARO important, and what should mineral owners know about it? So NARO, being the National Association of Royalty Owners, it's been around since the 70s, and it's the only organization that solely represents the interests of mineral rights owners. So it, it's a, an education organization, and it's also a, a representation organization. The national office goes back to Washington and lobbies on behalf of mineral owners, and they've helped to keep the percent depletion allowance on the taxes. And so updates uh, about those legislative issues come up every year. We uh, brief those at the national conference, which, by the way, is coming up in October. But that's generally what NARO is about, and NARO also has state chapters because each state is facing unique issues in the legislature. So, for example, uh, Colorado has its own chapter, whereas Wyoming and New Mexico and, and Utah have a separate chapter called the Rockies chapter. And so we try to group the different chapters by legislative issues that they're facing. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and I know that... You know, that's certainly been an issue here in Colorado lately. So when did you first get involved with NARO Colorado? And can you talk a little bit about sort of, you know, how you got involved in your history with NARO and then, you know, kind of how you became the current president of the Colorado chapter? So I became aware of NARO back around 2008, 2009 timeframe and uh, just participated as a member and, and went to some of the conferences. And I found that the conferences were uh, quite good, and it helped to remove the shroud of confusion around 
mineral rights, what sorts of issues were important to the mineral owners and, and how to think about what the value they are that they, they bring to the families. And so I've participated kind of at a low level, just an attendee level uh, for many years. And then I got fairly close to the president of the Colorado chapter back around mid-2017, and, and he asked me to join a committee, uh, which was the committee to help put together one of the annual conferences. And uh, I suppose he thought that I was a hardworking guy with enthusiasm. And, and so uh, by virtue of that, then they invited me to participate on the board. And, and then eventually they asked me to be the president. Great. Well, it's, um, I know my experience with NARA has been been short, but you know, attending the, the Colorado conference this year, it was really impressive, the quality of the speakers and the information that can be learned from something like that. So definitely, if you, I know I can speak from experience that if you're in Colorado and have heard of the organization, just didn't wasn't sure if it was for you, if you have mineral rights, it's something I think really you ought to, to join, just at least understand and give yourself the knowledge to you know, manage your asset uh, the best way possible for your family. So highly recommend checking out, you know, NARO in Colorado specifically, but then also for um, if you're in another state, like Rob mentioned, there's chapters all across the country and, you know, they talk about issues that are specific to those states. And, you know, it's really not not only that, but just the, the general knowledge around taxation and um, royalties and, you know, what is a division order and how to manage it. And they go through you know, some really good information around uh, minerals management and kind of how to manage the, the portfolio as a whole. So that's my, my plug for, for NARO. But can you talk a little bit more about some of the educational opportunities that are available to NARO members? So at each state conference, we've got a at least a day full of presentations. Um, some of the bigger states like Texas, they've got a couple of days worth. But uh, they're presentations by industry experts and also regulatory experts. So uh, just by virtue of participating in the local state chapter events, uh, you're, you're going to get a lot of good local information. But as far as formal training goes, CMM, Certified Mineral Manager, is the primary course that they offer. And there's a like an individual level from the standpoint of I'm a, a family member or a, a mineral manager uh, that just kind of needs to know what's going on so I'm not in the dark. Uh, versus a person that's a professional and in doing this to try to make a living. So, you know, it's a more rigorous course of study to get your professional CMM versus the the, the standard CMM. But I found that to be a, a real top-notch training course, and, and it takes a bit of work to get that, and uh, it, they cover all the bases. But I think also a lot of the value is the Mineral Management 101 course that's given at virtually every conference that we have. And Mineral Management 101, I've gotten – excellent feedback on that presentation because it really, from a high level, just helps a person to establish a foundation way of thinking about minerals and how minerals are described and uh, what a gross acre is versus a net acre. And, and it helps to decode a bunch of the lingo in the industry. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of acronyms and lingo. I know from experience, that's uh, probably the first thing you have to learn is NMA. What is that? You know, what is a net mineral acre? And, you know, what how do I determine how many NMAs I own? You know, if I have mineral rights and I see a deed, well, that doesn't tell you the full picture. So, that's um, right. no, that's good. That's good. So let's circle back to, to Colorado specifically. And I know, you know, given the political climate here in Colorado, 
especially, you know, in the past um, year or so, there is a lot of pressure being placed on the oil and gas industry. So I imagine the Colorado chapter has been busy with that. Can you talk a little bit about the involvement or the response from Narrow Colorado as a result of the legislation that was passed as part of the SB 19181 here in Colorado? So our position on Senate Bill 19181 is that we don't think it was entirely necessary. Uh, anything that we do to further protect human health, which is reasonable, certainly we support that without a doubt. But at the same time, we think that undue regulation and burdening the oil and gas industry excessively is not productive and it makes us less competitive in the oil and gas world, you know, as far as like competing against Oklahoma or Texas or something like that. And so we want to make sure that industry still feels welcome. And we also want to be sure that our members in NARO are able to have their minerals developed. The setback rules were uh, greatly concerning to us. Uh, you know, if you were unfortunately within the setback zone, Proposition 112 was really on the setback issue. But we wanted to be sure that people weren't basically effectively having a, a government takings of their minerals because if the Colorado legislature passes laws that uh, would prevent an individual from having private minerals developed, that's effectively a takings by the government. So that's our, our biggest concern with, with regard to that. Um, you know, the health and safety issues, like I said earlier, uh, we support health and safety and, and, you know, we don't want accidents to happen and we don't want any other issues around the oil and gas industry. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the rulemakings progress and sort of how each local government implements the, the regulation in their um, jurisdiction. Because to your point, I know that was my biggest concern coming out of both Proposition 112 and, and this bill was the, you know, the minerals that, that we own in Colorado, you know, the value and how it's going to impact the value. And I think that's just kind of goes back to the the importance of being involved with an organization like NARO where you can stay on top of issues like this and understand you know, how it might impact you and so that you can speak up because really at the end of the day, the, you know, your state legislature and your local representative is there to represent you. And, you know, if you're not happy with legislation that's being proposed, the way to address that is to write to them and call them and let them know your opinion and, uh, you know, why you feel a certain way. And I think being educated about the issues and the impact is on this case, value of mineral rights, as an example, is important so that you can proactively participate in that as a mineral owner. Because um, the more people that they hear, you know, they're going to start to to step back and listen. It's one thing for the industry to say something, but they have a vested interest in it, and, and they sort of expect them to to take a certain stance. But when they hear, you know, mom and pop rancher or homeowner in a particular area speaking up loudly against particular bill or something like that, then I think they do uh, tend to, to listen a little bit more closely. So, Agreed. Okay. So let's talk a little bit now about some of the upcoming narrow events for Colorado mineral owners. And then also let's talk about the national conference that you mentioned. So where can people go to find out more about what's coming up next and in their area, or maybe if they want to attend the national conference, um, how do they find out about that? So the website's always the easiest, and it's narrow-us.org, and narrow is N-A-R-O. Alternately, there is a phone number, 
1-800-558-0557. Or you can call me, your Colorado president. Uh, best number to get me at 720-833-7090. But on the website, there is an events page, and so it will list any events that are coming up in the future. We also do uh, town hall meetings occasionally. They're not on the schedule. We try to give notice of those two weeks to a month before they happen. Uh, but we do them as we can. We rely on local event spaces, and so it takes a little bit of coordination to get it done. That's why we don't have them scheduled strictly. We have to have a little flexibility with regard to those. Uh, but those are also announced on our Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, look at the uh, Colorado – or just search for Colorado Narrow – and you should be able to find it, and then you can friend our organization, and then you get some updates through there as well. Uh, and, and in that, we have updates for both legislative issues or crucial articles that have come out in industry publications, in addition to the events that we're hosting. Another thing you should be aware of is that the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, uh, commonly referred to as COGA, is having their energy summit. And it is Monday through Wednesday, the 26th through the 28th of August. And, and we, we're a partner with them. Uh, we're both working towards the same angle. They're a little bit more on the industry side than we are. You know, we're specifically royalty owners, but you know, we, we work together. Uh, and then the national conference this year is actually being held in Pittsburgh. It was here in Colorado last year. But this year it's in Pittsburgh, and we know that's a little bit of a trek for those of us out west. But it is October 2nd through 4th, and I don't think the year after uh, has been set yet for location. But uh, I think it's going to be a little bit further west again next year. But another good time to, to get involved now so you can see when that's coming down the pipe. Sounds good. And, and definitely if you want to find out more about the um, Certified Minerals Manager program. I know that that's offered at the uh, national conference. You can take the test and, and get your certification there. And so there's more information on that. And, and the full agenda is, is on the narrow website right now for that national conference. So if you're thinking about that, definitely take a look and see um, if that would be a benefit to you. So you mentioned your phone number, but what's the best way to reach you? And, and where can people also find out more about Turret? So Turret has a website. And it's just www.turret.com, and Turret is T-U-R-R-E-T-T. And then also the office phone number is 720-833-7090, and my email is rprentice, P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E, at turret.com. So any of those ways you can reach me. Uh, you can also call the National Office of NARO at the 1-800 number, which again is 1-800-558-0557, and they can patch you through to me. But for more information on Turret and the things that we do, uh, the website's pretty comprehensive for the services that we offer. And and even if you're you're unsure about whether you need our help or not, you know we'll we'll certainly take your phone call and you know have a quick conversation with you and see if we can get you pointed in the right direction at least whether you need us or not. And I should add that we've got a good network of professionals around the state. So if you think you might need an attorney, you might call us and, and we can help get you pointed in the right direction or a tax advisor or somebody like that. Sounds good. No, I know that's always a, a sometimes a challenge finding somebody that you know is qualified and you can trust. And so having that short list is always helpful. And also a plug for some of the other information that's out there. And I believe there's a link on the NARO website, the national website, to uh, the forum where you actually can share information with other mineral owners 
around, let's say that you get an offer to purchase your minerals and you want to find out what others are getting in your area or an offer to lease. Some of that type of information is shared and that's through the Mineral Rights Forum, uh, which we've talked about on the show before. Uh, but that's another great resource for mineral owners if you haven't checked that out. And there's a specific narrow forum for narrow members that you it's part of uh, the Mineral Rights Forum. You can join and, and participate in that as well. Well, thanks again, Rob, for coming on the show. It was great talking with you and we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Mineral Rights Podcast with your host, Matt Sands. Don't forget to subscribe and share at mineralrightspodcast.com. The Mineral Rights Podcast should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy.